Second Peter started off here by looking at this precious faith that we have in Jesus. And it's a precious faith because it's a faith that's based on the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, we don't come to the Lord based on what we can bring. We don't say, well, I got faith in you to save me because I'm a good person or I do all these great things. It's a faith that's received. Notice that there. It's right there. In the opening here, verse 1 of chapter 1 of Second Peter, to those who have attained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in other words, like I said, it's not something that we have to work for or strive after. It's something that we, however, want to see working for us. Okay, notice the the nuance there. This is not something we have to work for, but it is a faith that we want to see working for us. And so in our next session here in 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to move from a precious faith to look at a progressive faith. Moving from a precious faith to look at this progressive faith. Look at verse 5 is where we pick it up here this morning. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Notice what Peter says, for this very reason. For what reason? Well, like I just said, for the very things that we just looked at at the beginning of this chapter in the opening verses. We looked last week at the preciousness of our faith, the power in our faith, and the promises from our faith. Those are the things that we looked at last week. You see, God has been so good to us in saving us. And in the fact that he desires to continue to work in us and use us to accomplish his work and and carry out his will. In other words, this life that we have in Christ, my friends, is a grand life. It is an adventurous life. It is a life worth living because we have reason to live now and it's found in Jesus Christ. So Peter says, because of the goodness of God, give all diligence to add to that faith. Give all diligence to add to that faith. You see, you can look at it this way if you so choose. Verse 1 to 4 shows God's part in salvation. He saves us by faith through the righteousness of Christ. He gives us grace and peace. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he's allowed us to be partakers of the divine nature. We get to experience the abundant life in him and have this hope of eternal life. Those were all expressed in those opening verses. God's part in salvation. But then as we continue on, we see our part in salvation. And that is that we're called to add to our faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. You see, my friends, faith is the starting point, but it's not the finishing point. Faith is what gets us into this grandeur of life. But it's not the finishing point. There's there's more to come. There's more to be experienced. There's more blessings to flow. Faith needs to be fed so that it can now be fortified. And so Peter lists these seven contributing qualities that reveal our faith and establishes our faith. And these things help now kind of direct our faith. All these things that are listed there. Help kind of direct our faith. Help to cause it to to begin to grow up and become stronger. See, I've been busy planting some gardens in our yard. I I should say my wife. 
bless her heart, has been busy planting some gardens in our yard. And I've noticed her creating these towers, these, these little structures where you might plant some beans or, or different things like that. And you want to give it some guidelines for it to grow. And so we've got these poles with, with wires hanging down or different, you know, fencing that comes up for them to kind of be guided along in their growth. And that's what Peter is kind of laying out for us here. All these things help give some stability and strength and direction to see our faith grow and become fruitful. That's what Peter's allowing or leading us in here. These seven qualities cause our faith to keep growing and to remain on target so that we can be fruitful. So what does Peter say? He says, give all diligence then. Give all diligence. Be earnest, he's saying, in this desire to grow and mature. Don't be content just to say, oh, I'm saved. Everything's fine. I'm good. I gave my life to the Lord like 20 years ago. Everything's good. No, he says, give diligence. Have a desire to keep growing and pressing on and, and excelling now in this life in Christ. Because God has so much for us, wouldn't you agree? God has just given us life and the abundant life that I think sometimes we're just scratching the surface on that. So Peter says, man, let that faith begin to, to grow up and mature and be strengthened so that you experience the blessing of this life in Christ. That's going to be a, a pretty common thought in, in Peter and in his writings. We've seen it already here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 2 Peter 3.18, he's going to say, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And this word diligence in the Greek, spude, it's linked to the idea of making haste. Be quick, in other words. Let this be something you begin to do without wasting any time. Don't let this be something you think you can just do when you get older or when you feel like, okay, now I think I'm ready to start to apply these things in my life. Don't let it be something you put off for tomorrow, what you can be doing today. Make haste. Be diligent. Make this something that's a priority in your life now to say, I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to become more like Christ. I want to add to my faith all these things that are going to strengthen my faith and cause it to be even more fruitful. So stop wasting time and missing out on the fullness of life that God has for you. Give all diligence. And he says, add to your faith now. Add to your faith. If you're going to grow and be strengthened in your faith, then like Peter's pointing out, you got to add some things that are going to increase your stability, your strength, and establish you even more concretely in Jesus. Paul said in, in Philippians 2 verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this doesn't imply that you need to work for your salvation. Let's be very clear on that, all right? We're not at all hinting towards this idea that you've got to earn or work for your salvation. No, it just means that you should be working it out, living it out. What God has worked in you, 
By faith and by his grace, what God has worked in you, let it begin to be worked out of you so that it is demonstrated and seen and lived out now. Putting this new life to good use. Paul also says in in 1 Timothy 4, 7, I love this verse, exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself. Let this be something that you're looking to, to, to bulk up, in other words. Now, Peter said at the beginning of this chapter, that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? But now he's shown we need to put it to use. We need to begin to bulk it up, exercise yourself. So we've got the pictures of working out and exercising. Now, I know a lot of you, like me, like to hit the gym, right? And by hitting the gym, I mean driving by it and throwing something at it in disdain. That's what I mean by hitting the gym. But when I do work out and I'm doing, you know, my 100-pound one-arm curls, right? I'm doing like about 20, 30 reps of that, right? And I'm doing my working out. If I want to keep getting stronger, I know what you're thinking. How is that possible to get any stronger? I know. I appreciate that. But when I want to get stronger, you see, what I want to do is not take away some of those weights. I want to add those weights, right? I want to put on some, now if I just go from a hundred pound curls and I drop down to a five pound barbell, I'm not going to be growing. In fact, what's going to happen? I'm going to begin to decrease. You're going to see these lean muscles, toned body start to get a little bit weaker and flabbier, right? That's what's going to happen. In other words, you want to add something to it so that you keep getting stronger and, and bulking up a little bit. You want to, Increase and diligently push yourself because you know that's working out for you health and strength. Y'all with me so far? All right. Everybody online, you with me so far? All right. Okay. I know you're all thinking, what is this guy on here this morning? But all right, it's all good. But this is what Peter's getting at here. Don't think that this is at all an idea of working for your salvation or trying to prove yourself. The work is done, my friends. Jesus has accomplished all that. He saved us. He's died on the cross for us. We're complete in him. But you don't want to hang out in the shallow end of the pool all your life. You want to launch out into the deep where you can really begin to enjoy some grand adventures. That's what kind of Jesus is showing us here, that there's more to life as you begin to put these things into practice, as you begin to exercise yourself into all godliness, as you work out your salvation, as you add to your faith, there's going to be greater things that come as a result of that. Don't be content just to hang out in the shallow end of the pool here. That's what Peter's saying for us. Be diligent to act now to live this new life in Christ to its fullest. So, add to this faith. Interestingly, in verse 11, Peter will use the same Greek word for add, only it's translated there in verse 11, in my version, the New King James Version, for so an entrance will be supplied to you. Supplied. That's the word for add that he uses here. In, in verse 5, supplied. In other words, that's what that word really means, that as you add to your faith these things, you're supplying that faith, or you're supplementing that faith with these things that are going to help it to grow and become even more stronger and cause your faith to really flourish. How many people want that, to have my faith really flourish? Anybody with me here? Anybody online here with me? You want your faith to flourish? I know I do. Peter's going to lay out for us some ways that that's going to happen. So faith is the starting point, but then you begin to add to it. You supplement it with, first of all, virtue. 
All right. Virtue is what we see there, first of all. Now, if you were to ask people what virtue is, I'm sure many people would look at you with a blank face. Virtue, yeah, what does that's a word that we don't use a whole lot, and it's certainly a word that we don't see lived out oftentimes in our media, whether it be movies or TV. We don't see a lot of virtue being exemplified. But virtue speaks of moral excellence. Moral excellence. When you become a Christian, you respond by faith to Jesus. And you put on Jesus. And, and in so doing, your life should begin to look different, right? Should look different. You're putting on some virtue and you're walking in a new way to live. If your life pre-Jesus was kind of about the thug life, you're a brawler, you're a hothead, you're a drunk, then your life now post-Jesus should be moving toward a better, more excellent way. Those things should be getting left behind, I pray and I trust, Right? These are things that are marked in the old self, but you're in Christ now, a new creation, and there should be something different. You should be moving towards more moral excellence. Now, let me just make this clear before moving on to these other characteristics. I think we need to be careful to clear this up just for anybody here, because all these things that we're going to look at, right? Virtue and and knowledge and self-control, all these things. These things don't come about through your own effort or morality. Let's just be clear about that, all right? It's so easy as Christians to be tempted to apply a moralistic type of salvation, which is where we think we can and need to improve our behavior. And, And your salvation then kind of becomes resting in the fact that I'm moving myself to greater reforms. I'm becoming more, you know, like Jesus because of me improving my behavior. And there's a lot of people that live with this kind of moralistic type of salvation, which is all about this improved behavior. Can I just squash that notion right now? Because our salvation has no bearing on what we're able to do. Your righteous Standing with God is not based on your goodness and morality. And I'm so thankful for that. Your righteous standing with God is not based on your morality. In other words, you can't add to your salvation by being better or more good or being more moral in what you do. Your salvation is found in Jesus and in him alone. It's by grace through faith that you are saved. And that's it. But because Jesus has done the work, because Jesus has died for us, because he's forgiven us of our sin and saved us, we want to now live these lives for him because we know that his way is a better way. And as I begin to see these things supplementing my faith, I'm going to simply be enjoying the more blessed and abundant life to the full that he does have for me now. That's the key here. So these are things simply that that Peter's laying out that we should be shining forth because we've been given new life in Christ. Remember what Peter said in verse 4? That through this precious faith, we become partakers of his divine nature, by which we escape the corruption of the world that our old nature once loved to feed on. So this new nature is now in us, this divine nature, partakers of the divine nature. That's what we get now in Christ through faith. It's activated by faith, this new nature in us. But now we want to see the faith increase and reveal itself simply through these 
qualities and characteristics. And that comes about by our relationship with God. It's, it's not through us trying harder to reform our nature. It's about this new nature becoming rooted in us and producing this fruit. In fact, so much of these things parallel what we see um, Paul writing about as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no love. We're going to see a lot of overlap with these qualities that, that supply or supplement or add to our faith here in Second Peter, overlapping with the fruits of the Spirit. And what does a branch need to do to bear fruit? Just be connected to the source of that life. Be connected to the vine. We simply need to abide in Christ. And these things should become evident. So when Peter says, give all diligence, it's more about staying in that right place by which you are going to ensure that you are getting all that you need for the natural growth of these things. And so, Peter says, add to your faith virtue. And then to faith, or sorry, to virtue, add knowledge. Now, this is a common thing that Peter will talk about in this epistle because there were the beginnings of the Gnostic heresy that were creeping into the church. And this Gnostic heresy taught that you can receive this sort of secret knowledge, this, this um, special hidden knowledge that you need to really move past the, this level of the flesh because they saw that all matter, all flesh was evil. And you need to escape these things. It wasn't through Jesus coming and giving you nature, no. Uh, you had to go above that. Jesus was kind of like the starting point, but you had to move through all these different levels through this hidden secret of knowledge by which you could then attain to God. And it brought in just this elitism, this pride, and it neglected the work of Christ ultimately. So Peter says that, listen, we just need to simply know God. Remember what Peter said in verse 3. Uh, of Second Peter 1, that God has given us all things that pertain to life and, and godliness through the knowledge of Him, of God. It's already, we have everything we need to know God. We don't need some secret hidden thing. We have everything we need in the Lord, so keep growing in the knowledge of Him. We're, we're never, and here's the great thing, guys, we're never going to exhaust this side of eternity just our understanding of God. We're never going to have God completely known this side of eternity. In other words, man, we keep pressing and we keep, we keep pouring in. I love what the, the Proverbs says, you know, in Proverbs 2, 3, and 5. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. So like a miner that just goes in and starts digging. Just start opening up the word of God and just start digging in. Just like if you're in a mine and you're searching for silver. You're not just going to look around and go, oh yeah, I don't really see a whole lot here. No, you're going to start digging. You're going to start chipping in those walls. You're going to start digging and doing whatever you can. Because you're like, I want to find something here. I want to find a treasure. Do we search after God that way? Do we open up the word and say, God, I just want more of you. I just want to receive from you. I want, to, I want to mine these things for the treasures that you have for me here. So add to this virtue knowledge. And then he says in verse 6, to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. So we'll take a bit of time and break 
the remainder of these things down here. Now, once we're growing in this knowledge and gaining insight, practical insight into who God is, and that's what the idea of is just having that practical insight to who God is and, and how to live from them, it's, Peter says we're to put on self-control, right? Because suddenly we're finding out through the knowledge of God and through his word what's helpful and good for us. And so we need to put on self-control so we'll begin to apply these things and continue on in a way that's more pleasing to him and not just more pleasing to the flesh. For, for many Christians, there's a big gulf between their knowledge and their conduct. In other words, they're knowing what's true and right, but they're not living it out. Why so? Oftentimes it's just self-control. They're, they're allowing their flesh to dictate what they want to do. And there's no control over those things. There's no self-control. And so Peter's saying, add to these things, add to your virtue, add to your knowledge, self-control. Because as you begin to know and understand, you've got to begin to apply that and live it out. And if we're not in self-control, then we're going to be allowing things to hinder us in living those things out all the more. So there needs to be self-control by which they... We apply these things and choose to put aside all of the desires that oftentimes get in the way. And then add to your self-control perseverance. Now that's such a, a key quality in the life of the believer. And, and not that these others aren't, but we recognize that our life in Christ doesn't cause us to be immune from trials and hardships. In fact, our whole series in First and Second Peter has been highlighting those very things. Don't think it's strange. The fire trial that is coming upon you. These are things that you should and can expect. Why? Because the world hated Christ. If the world hates Christ, if the world rejected Christ, well, why should we think we're going to get a free ride through this world? We live in a foreign world that crucified our Lord and Savior. And if we're truly living for Jesus and letting that be seen in our lives, then, then you can expect some hardships. So if we're going through trials and hardships and tribulations, we need perseverance. This word speaks of having a steadfastness or an endurance and a continuous no matter what lies before you. Remember, our Christian life is not a a 100-meter dash where we're just like, just going all out and that's it, done. No, we're in a marathon here. We need perseverance. A marathon runner doesn't start at the gates going, I'm just going to give it 110%. And then, you know, one mile in, they're like, you know, on their hands and knees, like just like panting for air, you know. No, they, they're pacing themselves. They understand. I got to persevere. There's going to be moments where I feel like I'm hitting a wall, right? And you've heard about, you know, that runners, that, that wall, right? You know what that's like. I don't. I've just heard about it. But uh, you hit that wall and it's like, man, you got to persevere. But once you get over that, so, help me, right? Once you get over that, suddenly it's like second wind kicks in. You're just like, man, I could just go for another 30 miles, right? Is that fair? Okay, just say, thank you. Just agree with me, please. Thank you. No, I got some runners in here and that's great. And, and you just go for it. And so we need perseverance. There's going to be times where we feel like we want to give up. We've hit that wall. We want to quit. But Peter says, don't, man. Because it's all going to be worth it. Persevere. Keep going. And you're going to find that you're going to get over that and you're going to just continue on where you go, man, I'm so glad I kept going. Because I feel just a, a vibrancy again. And that might just lead you to the next trial that you need to persevere through, but keep building up that perseverance. Self-control has to do with uh, 
self-control has to do with pleasures in this life. And perseverance has to do with pressures of this life. I think that's a good way to look at it. Are we allowing the pleasures of this life to rob us from what God has for us? Self-control allows those pleasures not to have their way. And perseverance allows us to get through the pressures that come in this life. And when we supplemented our faith with virtue, knowledge, and self-control, then perseverance and patience helps us to keep growing strong when adversity hits. James says this in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then, next we add godliness. Now that comes about as we not just press through the storms of life, but rather we press in to the Lord. He's our shelter from the storms of this life. It's, it's showing a devotion to Him where we simply become more like Him. It's been said, godliness cannot be fabricated. We cannot merely pretend to be godly. The quality of godliness comes from God Himself. He must give that quality of life to us. We receive it as we are dead to self and alive to God and as we allow the Spirit to live within us. And then we add brotherly kindness. So as we come into the family of God, right? Faith is the starting point. We're now part of the church, the family of God. We get to be brought in now. Suddenly we're walking into new relationships with people. And we're like, oh man, this is interesting. And we recognize we are one diverse group, but we have this great common denominator, which is the Lord, right? And, and so there, there should be this genuine love and kindness to one another. Now, it's not immediate, right? This doesn't come right after faith. In fact, sometimes as a new believer, you might begin to wonder what you got yourself into exactly as you have strangers coming up. They're hugging you. They're just blessing you in the Lord. They're, you know, you're, you're still kind of wondering, did I get myself in a cult or something? Like, what is this is so far foreign from what I've ever received. What is going on here? Everybody is just so different than the world, right? And you're kind of, it's not immediate. We're all saying it's just this brotherly kindness, but even going to grow in that. And so we need to add, first of all, this, this virtue. You need to add, you know, the knowledge, self-control, all these things that begin to help you realize that, yeah, this is my place now in life. This is my calling. This is, this is my blessing to come and love one another and to be like God, to be godly in these situations. And Peter says, it's among the church that this love and kindness should most readily be exercised and demonstrated. Because we're family, right? That's, that's why he uses the word Philadelphia, brotherly kindness. He uses the word Philadelphia where we get the word phileo, love, brotherly love. If we're not able to love one another when we have such a great common denominator, how can we love those where we don't have that common denominator? May this, the church here, whether you're online or here in the building, the church is to be the place where this is most realized, where brotherly kindness, this brotherly love is lived out and exercised and enjoyed one with another. John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this I will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Then as we grow in love and affection for one another, then we can move on to begin to show this love that is now independent of the subject. First of all, in the church, love should be obvious, right? 
We have the same common denominator. We got the Lord together. We're, we're in common. We may be diverse, but there's that unity and diversity. So love should be very clear here. But now he moves lastly on to simply love. Add to your brotherly kindness, love, which is, is irrelevant of the subject that this is going towards. Paul uses the word agape here. And this is a love that isn't a matter of our will or emotions. It's not dependent on what we might think we're getting in return. There are no conditions to this love. It's a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. In fact, it's a love that cannot be known apart from being a Christian and growing in our faith. This is a supernatural kind of love. This isn't a natural love. Because you need the divine life just to live this life, this, this love out. Because it's the very nature of God. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And, and you could turn around and say, He who does not know God does not love. And you might say, oh, I, there's a lot of loving people around. Yes, there are, no doubt about it. There's a lot of good people that are not Christians, that are very kind, gracious, loving But this kind of love goes beyond anything that just the world can produce in and of itself because it's a love that comes from God. So he does not love that way, doesn't truly know God because God is love. And if you're in God, if you're in Christ, then this love should be a byproduct of that. But in the same way, he who does not know God can't love this way. So God told us to love one another. Peter tells us there have that brotherly kindness. But this love now goes beyond just our church family and it's extended to all. This, is, this isn't a request made for you to do. This is a command that needs to be obeyed. To love. This is a, a command for us to obey. Again, it's not dependent on our circumstances or the conditions surrounding it. This is a love that you choose to put into action and it's a love that will become more and more natural as you grow in faith, as you add to your faith, as you supplement that faith. I like what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, where he says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. See, Peter ends with all these things with, with love. And that's a great place to kind of end on because it's the highest mark and quality of a Christian. And this should be our goal. See, you'll know you're growing and excelling in your faith when love is what is pouring out of you. When somebody wrongs you and you have love for them, when someone cuts you off on the road and you pray for them before cursing them. I mean, you pray for them instead of cursing them. Is what I meant to say all along there. But it's love that is that bond of perfection. So it, 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 it holds all these things together now and it's that love that really begins to reveal that person is in Christ. That person has not only put his faith in Christ, but this is a person that has grown in his faith, that has matured, that is carrying out all these things. And then notice what Peter goes on to say in verse 8 there. He says this, For... If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. 
I like that. So these seven qualities that we've looked at there in verses 5 and, and 6 and 7, these seven qualities that stem from our faith, that supplement and support our faith, well, they're to be evident in our lives. In fact, Peter says they should abound, right? They, they should just be flowing and, and overflowing out of our lives constantly. In other words, this isn't just some kind of checklist that you try to check off each day. Okay, there's a point I just did self-control. Boom, did it, great, all right. Now I can let everything else go. Now, you know, I, I didn't get mad at that person. I didn't react wrongly to that person. I did that self-control. Check it off, but now the next person, boy, if they wrong me, boy, I'm going to let them have it. No, this is something that should be abounding, overflowing constantly at work in your life. And if they are, what does Peter say? If they are, then you're going to be fruitful. You're going to be fruitful in life. And remember, fruitfulness comes from just being connected to the vine, right? John 15, verse 4 to 5, Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless uh, it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. See, a branch doesn't have to grunt and strain to try to pop out some fruit, right? The branches instead of going, oh, come on, fruit, get going. The branches says, I just need to be connected. We just need to be spending time and, and abiding. And that's not just, abiding isn't just, you know, coming and going. Abiding means you're staying with Jesus. You're in Jesus. You're spending time with Jesus. Your whole life is wrapped up being with and in Jesus. You're abiding. And when you're abiding, guess what's going to happen? Fruit's going to come. It's going to happen. And as you're diligent to abide and you desire these qualities, you're going to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says at the end of verse 8. But the person that isn't seeing these things developing in their life has become short-sighted. In other words, they've lost sight of the goal. They've lost sight of the goal. Because salvation is not the finish line. Like I said, it's the starting line. This is where the real life, the exciting life just begins, is at that point of faith. Now we come to faith and go, oh good, I've, I've arrived, I'm a Christian. Well, I'll just sit back and wait now till I'm in heaven. No, it's the starting line. It's where we say, man, we get to come in now to this abundant full life that is just to be a grand adventure for us. I want to live it up. I want to live it out. I want to experience all that God has for me. Paul says, and I love this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, brethren, he says, I do not count myself yet to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if, if Paul would say, I have not yet apprehended, I don't count myself yet to have If Paul's saying that, how much more am I sitting here going, oh my goodness, I've got a lot of room still to grow, right? Because if anybody, you could hold up Paul and go, man, that guy, that's a mature Christian. That's the guy that's arrived. But Paul would say, 
man, I haven't. I've not yet apprehended. But one thing I do, I'm not going to let anything distract me, weigh me down from the past. I'm going to have that singleness of mind that says, I'm going to keep moving forward towards that goal. What's the goal? The, the, the finish line. And so if faith is the starting line, what's the finish line? Entering into eternity. When we rest in the Lord and with the Lord. When we see Him face to face. Until then, we keep going. We keep adding to these things. We keep wanting to grow and mature and be strengthened in these things. There's to be no standing still. There's only strength and security when we move forward. So Paul says, man, I I press on. I don't want to sit back on my laurels. I don't want to put my feet up and think, I've done enough. He says, I press on. Keep moving forward. Are you you moving forward? Because standing still just means there's setbacks. You might think, oh, it's, it's okay just to be kind of stationary. No, in our Christian life, we need to be moving forward. Again, this is not works-based. This isn't trying to strive. No, this is to, to continue on to build up ourselves in Christ so that we can be more like Him, that we can be a greater witness in the world, that we can be strengthened and established more solidly in our faith. But to be moving forward. So let me kind of close with this here. Let me ask you this. What motivates us in this, in this race, in this progression of faith? That's what our, our, our message here is about, a progressive faith. What motivates us in this race and in progressing in our faith? There's two things that we see in our text here. First of all, it's what's been done for us and it's what is being done for us. The end of verse 9 makes that very clear, where it says that, you know, he who lacks these things, it's not moving forward. Well, he's short-sighted, even a blindness. He's, not, he's lost sight of the goal, right, the finish line. And he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So in other words, he's forgotten what's happened. Peter says that the one who's lacking these things has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. His old sins. You see, Jesus didn't die for you just so you could go on your merry way and have the burden of guilt lifted so you can just feel better about yourself. Thank you for forgiving me, Jesus. Now I'm just going to go and enjoy my life scot-free. No, he died for you so you could be cleansed to live a new life in him and for him. That your life would now bring glory to him. And it's in bringing glory to God that we experience the greater blessing and joy that he has for us. Don't let Jesus' sacrifice be wasted by your short-sightedness. Realize why he did what he did for you. Because you've been forgiven and cleansed so that you can live now in this newness of life. His life by which you bring glory to God. By which your faith begins to be demonstrated and it's allowed to excel look at verse 10 therefore brethren be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ see many christians stumble in their assurance of being saved 
Oftentimes they'll question their salvation because they don't see the effects of their salvation. It's not the, the profession of faith by which you're saved. It's the progression of faith that assures us we're saved. Sorry, the profession of faith does save us, yes. But the assurance of our faith or the assurance of our salvation comes about through seeing our faith progressing. Our faith, we don't, we don't have a progressing faith to secure our salvation. It's already done. Let's make that clear. It's already secure in Christ. But it's as we progress in our faith that we have that assurance that we're His. Because we're becoming more like Him. And when you're living out these things, you know, see the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's been deposited in you as a guarantee of things to come. That's why Peter says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. This means that you'll never be shaky in your understanding that you're saved. You'll never, you'll never question, am I saved? Because you're seeing, man, I'm, I'm a changed life. I'm progressing in these things. I'm continuing on. Now, yes, there might be Christians that have put faith in Jesus, but are just, you know, kind of shriveling up and they're not really experiencing life. It doesn't mean that they're not saved, but they're certainly not enjoying the saved life as they should. And and that's the difference there. But as we continue in these things, suddenly we're not questioning our salvation. We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm living for the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing my life growing and maturing, causing me to see I'm, I'm in Him. Now it's sad when I run into Christians who are fearful if they'll make it to heaven. Again, listen, it was signed, sealed, and delivered the moment you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your fruitfulness in these things simply reveals that this faith is real and it's growing. And a faith that is growing is a strong, healthy, and vibrant faith that makes this life so much more enjoyable. So we're motivated by what's been done for us. Let that be more. Don't lose sight and forget what has been done, that your sins have been forgiven so that you can live in newness of life and live for God. So we're motivated by what's been done for us, but we're also motivated by what is being done for us, and that's primarily that we're being prepared for eternity. Jesus said in John 14, that I go prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. We're being fitted for eternity, Peter said in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. See, we have the hope of heaven. The reality of eternal life coming. Let that be a motivating factor. There's more to come. Keep living for him. Keep exercising yourself to godliness. Keep working out your salvation. Keep adding to your faith. Supplementing, strengthening your faith with all these things that Peter lays out. And, And begin to find yourself just enjoying all the more this blessed, abundant, full life that God has for you. Keep growing. There's purpose in it and a rich reward from it. All right? Let's pray and worship team. Would you come back up and we'll close our service with just a bit of time of worship and response. And, and so before we pray, let me just ask you here. Just take some time and evaluate your life. And ask yourself, have I been growing in my faith 
Or maybe have I just been stagnant? Have I been resting on what I've done 10, 20 years ago? Because this isn't something where you go, oh, I've, I've hit the finish line. Well, the finish line doesn't come until you're with Jesus. Are you continuing on moving forward and seeing these things supplementing your faith? Maybe there's some time right now just to ask the Lord to reveal to you what maybe you need to grow in, what you want to grow in, how you need to pursue Him more perhaps. Take some time and ask the Lord to reveal these things so that you can continue on in these things that Peter says to have not just a precious faith, but to have a progressive faith, one that's continually moving forward. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this time together today in your word and, and for, Lord, how your word is just so practical. It speaks to us. It's so clear. It's your word, Lord, to us. And it's the living word, Lord, that we want to take in and apply and live out. And so Peter's given us a number of things here today to look at and to evaluate in our own lives. And I pray that we would do that and that you would reveal to us, Lord, maybe areas that perhaps we've been weak in, that we haven't been diligent to add to our faith. These things, virtue and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Lord, may these things abound in our lives. May we see more and more fruit coming because we're saying, I want these. I want to add them. I want to see my life being lived to the fullest and enjoying the fullness of life that God has for me. Lord, we make that our prayer here today. Bless your church and just continue to strengthen and encourage one another here today. I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.